Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who brings us comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we think about the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, we are taught and reminded that our inclusion and participation in the kingdom of God is based entirely on grace. No amount of individual work, devotion, or strength of our inner will can cause a person to become a Christian. I cannot decide to have faith in Jesus. I cannot decide to follow him. But Jesus calls me by his grace, which is proclaimed in his gospel. God must be given. He must be introduced. Our will and our fallen condition must be changed. This is what happens when we are made into Christians. Glory must be given to God alone for life and salvation. And the same goes for the work that is done in the kingdom of God. We think about those things that Christians naturally are to do, like showing mercy, witnessing the gospel, being regular and attentive and worship, and showing and demonstrating true Christian love and virtue. These are things that are not done in the kingdom of heaven to elevate or distinguish or earn us anything from God. They are things that God does through us. These things are merely our Christian duty, and these are things that God implants in our hearts the desire to do. To some, more is given to do than others. Some Christians have more responsibility. Some Christians exert more effort. Some have to receive more discipline from God, while others can show up a little later in the story. They take on little, and they need to help. They need help, at least, to keep up with just the basics. Yet, as we see in our parable today, both are included in the same kingdom, and they rejoice in the same inheritance from God. That's not done because God is unfair. It's done because God is gracious. Without this grace, our thoughts often can devolve into a mindset of entitlement within the church. Because we live in a world that's based on entitlement. It's an entitled world. Everyone believes that they deserve to receive everything that is good every day. Everything that is pleasurable, everything that is pleasant, that's supposed to come to me. I deserve a nice house. I deserve a beautiful family. I deserve a long vacation. I deserve a huge salary. I deserve to splurge and help myself. I'm entitled to my own opinions, and I'm entitled to have everyone hear my opinions, and I'm entitled to have everyone agree with my opinions, or else... I deserve to be treated like I matter. I deserve to be treated like I'm important and that my own felt needs and my own personal desires are worthy of everyone's attention. Perhaps this sort of thing is true if you're paying for service in a restaurant. Perhaps this sort of thing is true if you're all in an all-inclusive resort, but that's not how life works. 
And when it comes to life before God and man, we are not entitled to anything. Everything that we receive in this life is not because we have the right to it. It's not because we lay claim to it. It's because God is gracious. We actually deserve much worse. We deserve misery. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. We are sinners. I deserve to be mistreated by the server at the restaurant. I deserve to be poor. I deserve to be weak and hungry. I deserve hatred and bitterness. Yet that's not what God gives. God opens up his gracious hand, and I receive everything as a gift. I wake up in the morning, and my heart is beating, and I am breathing, and I open my eyes, and I see, and that is a gift from the grace of God. I have family and friends in my life, because I have this gift by the grace of God. I am placed in a society, in a community, where there is food, water, and medicine, and everything else that I could ever need, because God has opened up his hand and provided gracious gifts. And while there are wicked people who do wicked things, there are also kind people who do kind things, and there are also Christians who show love. And that is a gift from God. He gives us our daily bread that we ask for in the Lord's Prayer. And beyond this, he saves us from our sin. He delivers us from something much more painful than the struggles and the trials that we face in this life. He delivers us from death and hell. And why does he do this? Well, it's on account of his grace. The day you woke up, God is gracious. Today, you will eat because God is gracious. Today, you will have people because God is gracious. And today, your sins are forgiven you because God is gracious. Today, you live in the inheritance of eternal life and God our Savior because he is gracious. And so today, Jesus teaches his disciples with a parable as the worker, about the workers in the vineyard. He does this after encountering a rich young man who comes up to Jesus very arrogantly and asks, Oh, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, the rich young man thinks that eternal life was a matter of his doing. It's about receiving what God owes him. That's why he says, what must I do? And in his question, he is quickly revealing that his hope and his confidence is in the work of his hands, the value of his bank account, how much he thinks he has and how much he thinks he can offer and receive in return. But Jesus quickly reveals to this man that no amount of doing can save him. But rather, Jesus says, leave all of it behind and follow me. Yet the man goes away dejected. He wanted his life and salvation to be something he achieved rather than something that was given him. And it's impossible to be saved this way. Salvation comes only by the grace of Jesus. And that's why Jesus, after this, says, With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So on the heels of this event, Jesus wants to tell his disciples a parable. And he talks about the man who goes to hire workers in his vineyard. And we have those who, who bear the burden of the day. They come at the very beginning as the sun is coming up 
They set to their task and they're promised their pay at the end of the day. Yet the master, he's not idle. He sees that there is more workers in the vineyard that need to come. And so he continues to call laborers to work. He calls them to come to his vineyard at the third hour, at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour. And finally, at the end of the day, when there's only one hour left of the labor, he calls one last group of laborers into his field. He finds them sitting idly in the marketplace, and he bids them, come work for me. Come participate in the bounty of my vineyard. They had been lazing around. They had been idle people. They had been shooting the breeze. They most likely slept in when the work had begun. They had ignored the master's calling at all the other hours of the day. It's such a lame excuse as they're not working. They said, no one's come to hire us. With only one hour of work left, they finally go out into the vineyard and they persist. The master persists and they come. The scandal of this comes when it's time for everyone to receive their pay. The day of work was done, and the master did things backwards. He pays the newcomers first, and the early risers last. And those who had borne the burden of the day, they see those men who only worked one hour receiving the same wage they were promised, a denarius. And they get excited. They say, they worked one hour... And they get paid a whole day's wages. We worked 12 hours. How much are we going to get? If those lazy fools get a denarius, I'm definitely getting more. I can take a vacation. I can get off of work for the next week. But they are finally disappointed when they see they all get the same. They begin to throw a fit. It's not fair that some should work for a whole day and others just an hour, yet they all receive the same wage. It doesn't seem right. It is in our very nature to get worked up over something like this. If I were to go out into the work world and to see something like this happen, I would be upset. But we are sinners. And as sinners, we are obsessed with ourselves. We admire ourselves. We lift up our own accomplishments over and above anybody else, especially in nowadays. Because we live in the time period of the cult of self-esteem where we love to worship at the altar of me, myself, and I, and we bow down to our self-worth. We bow down to what we can boast as accomplishments or talents or gifts and status over and above somebody else. We focus on what makes me more special, what makes me more important than everybody else over there. And perhaps we can better understand this if maybe we switch our view from a vineyard uh, to a congregation. Here we are called to a life together where we receive the blessings and gifts of Jesus. We are called to rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that is given freely for Jesus' sake, not my work. No one deserves what they get here. What we receive here is entirely a gift. It's a gift given by the graciousness of God. Yet there is work that needs to be done in the congregation. The buildings need to be maintained, the yards need to be kept up, the bills need to be paid, the children need to be taught, Bible classes need to happen regularly and on time, acts of love for those in need must take place, fellowship meals must be prepared, the word must be preached, all of these things have to happen. 
The lost must hear the good news of Jesus. Sinners need to be comforted. Mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, the elderly, the young, the lonely, and everyone in between need guidance and comfort as they live in their callings. These things require thought, effort, time, treasure, skill. There will always be those who expend these things for the sake of the congregation and the greater kingdom of God, and there will always be those who don't. There will be those who do more and go above and beyond, and there will be those who do less. There will be members of the body who practically live at church, or there will be those who are only seen on Sundays. And the temptation can often arise for those who are constantly serving to grow bitter towards those who are not. Who do they think they are? I bear the burden of this labor while they loaf around and do nothing just to show up and receive the same gifts I receive. How dare they? How is that right? We cannot demand more from God, and so sometimes this mindset tells us that we can demand more from my neighbor, more honor for myself, maybe more privileges, maybe more force to my own opinion, more deference in decision-making. And when I don't get my way, I can lash out and say, do you have any idea how much I do for this church, how ungrateful you all are? You should admire me. We feel unappreciated. And it can cause the work to become bitter. Even here, though, we forget that everything that we have in the kingdom of God is given by the grace of God. This includes everything we've listed before, but also it includes our vocation, your opportunities to do acts of love, the callings, the duties, the responsibilities that we have in this life are given by the gracious hands of God. The work that God provides you to do at home, in the community, in the church, that too is a gift given by grace. As we are all called to participate in God's kingdom, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbor. We as Christians should consider a gift and a blessing to perform a thankless task for the sake of our neighbor. We should thank the Lord that there is a place and time for us to serve and help within the kingdom of Christ. And the harder and more thankless the task, the more thankful we should be. Not because we want to foster some idea of false humility, but because these things are blessings in the sight of God, and we have already received more than we deserve from his hand. Remember what you have been given. You have been given the greatest treasure that a person can receive. You have been called into a life of faith. And that life of faith looks to Jesus. And it's not the work that we do, it's the work that he does for you. It all revolves around him. It is all about him. It is meant to point to his gracious activity that has worked out for us. Christ Jesus is born to die for our sins. He bears our sins to the cross. He continually pours out the merit of his gracious work for us in the proclamation of the forgiveness that he has won. And that's the center of everything. All things revolve around the grace of Jesus. 
He calls us to humbly receive what he has done by faith. He calls us to repent of our sins and receive his gracious and abundant forgiveness. And this is why the world continues to this day. And it's so that Christ Jesus can continue to call people into his magnificent gift and kingdom of grace. God allows a sinful and evil world to keep on turning so that he can tell those fools who will come at the 11th hour to come and join him in life and salvation. When the master calls workers to come into his vineyard, he is calling them not for his own sake, but for their sake. Does he really need a few lazy workers for one hour at the end of the day? Or do these workers need to be called into the gracious gifts that the master has to give? Jesus puts it this way when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Any person who is included in the church of Jesus is included by the grace of Jesus. There's no boasting. There's no bragging. There's no one-upping our neighbor. There's no quid pro quo with God saying, I did more, so give me more. He's not indebted to us for our labors in this life. That would make God a participant with sinners. There's no sin in God. As St. Paul says, I have, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this shows God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he has passed over former sins. It's to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith. See, there's nothing other than grace. This is why the master is so eager to call workers to his vineyard. It's not because he needs the help, but that he is eager to give away what he has. He is eager to bless. He is eager to give more than a day's wage to those who do not deserve it. He is this way because he is gracious. He is loving. He is kind. He saves sinners because his righteousness is a gift that he wants to give away. That's his nature, to love, to be gracious. He also gives sinners a share in the glory of his labor. God is gracious in calling us to faith, but God is also gracious in providing us with work to do. God does not give us faith to remain idle. He calls us to be occupied in love, knowing that none of our works gain us the favor of God, but by God's gracious hand, we have been given faith as a gift, and we are free to live in our Christian vocation. And so we look at our lives as members of the body of Christ, and we can see that God has called us into certain roles that need to be performed in the body, right? There are mothers and fathers, there are children, there are siblings, there are teachers and students, there are husbands and wives, there are friends and neighbors and pastors and parishioners, citizens and those who have authority, workers and employers. We all have a little place 
We might occupy multiple roles in that grand scheme of things. And God places us each into one of those roles, one of those vocations, by grace. Parents shouldn't shrink back from their duty of parenting because their calling is carried out by the grace of Christ. Students should be joyful in their learning because they do so under the grace of a loving master. Members of a congregation should rejoice in any burden or difficulty that the congregation faces in that day because, once again, that is a gift of grace. In the kingdom of God, things work kind of backwards. In the kingdoms of this world, we work and expect to be praised and compensated for it. We want a pat on the back. We want our regular bonuses. We want everyone to praise and acknowledge our work. And if we are not recognized the way we want, we're out of here. And in the kingdom of God, which is governed by grace, we are given work to do as a duty. And we praise God for the gift of it. We praise God for our vocations being uh, because he is giving us work to do in his kingdom as a blessing. You, know, you think about this. No pastor called to labor for Christ in the ministry of the word says, I hate preaching. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, no, he praises God for the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear. Neither do Christian parents say, man, I wish I could just get rid of these kids. They're awful. No. They thank God that they've been blessed with the opportunity to bring up young ones in the church. And though these tasks are difficult, the labor is a gift from God. This is how Christians should view all the work they're given to do in this life. We don't deserve it. We aren't entitled to it. Our master is gracious in giving it to us. It's when we become self-obsessed and arrogant that we begin to despise the vocations that God gives us, and then we despise the vocations that God doesn't give us, and we think we deserve better. But we don't. God gives us our vocations so that he can demonstrate his love in us through his work, through the labor that he provides for us. And he calls us to stand instead in his stead and act out in his love. And when we forget that, the work can become tiresome, overwhelming, and bitter. That's when spouses begin to bicker. It's when parents begin to be a little negligent. It's when pastors find their labor in the word to be an unworthy toil and want to do something else. It's when parishioners start to make weak excuses for not coming to worship and Bible study. When we begin to fool ourselves into thinking we're owed more for our labor than we deserve, well, sometimes everything that we do becomes a burden. As we think we're owed more, the labor stops being about the love of Christ born out of his body of believers, and it becomes nothing other than a means to fulfill the desires of our sinful flesh. The desires to be loved, the desire to be recognized, the desire to be popular, the desire to be rich. Yet in the kingdom of Christ, the grace of God reigns over all of it. It is how the body of Christ is called to live. We are unworthy sinners, called into labor in his kingdom, and by his gracious hand we're given the work of the love of God. And so, when parents deal with their children, they're carrying out their office and disciplining them, loving them, teaching them, God's at work. 
when our teachers labor over their students, even if those students are difficult and hard to teach, well, God is at work and showing love to those children. When children are dutiful and obedient, they're showing great love and honor towards their gracious Savior. When pastors preach, even when it's hard, they're doing what God has called them to do, and they are demonstrating the love of Christ. And when parishioners roll out of bed in the morning on Sunday and fight against their sinful flesh so that they can get up and go and receive the gifts of Jesus, support their pastor, and encourage their neighbors in Christ, that is them doing the duty that Christ has given them to show and demonstrate their love for each other. It is his work that is being carried out in his vineyard. We are simply his laborers. Whatever the labor that you're called to, remember, when we are called to work in the kingdom, it is how Christ shows his care, his love, and his grace towards others. And this is a great act of the grace of God, both for the worker and for the one who receives the benefit of that work. And so when we're tired, when we're burdened, when we're bitter, when we're unappreciated, remember the grace of Christ. Remember what it is that you truly are called to be and to do. And remember that your labor, whatever it may be, is a blessing in the sight of our Lord Jesus. Rejoice in knowing that he continually labors to care for you. He continually labors to show his grace and his love toward you. He continually works in sending his spirit and justifying you. Both through the work of his spirit and through the members of his body. And in this way you can remember that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the abundant grace that you provide for us. Continually place this grace before our eyes and, and plant its work in our hearts so that we might rejoice in the blessings of Jesus who gives us more than we deserve. And lift up our hearts, O Lord, to you so that as we toil and labor in this life that it may never become bitter, but rather allow all the work that you give us to count as pure joy in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.